Everybody, I'm Peter, and I'm the one in the middle. I bring death. Oh my god. He's not accepting <laughs> surrenders at this time. It's Mike. Welcome to Rebels Rebels, the podcast that explores the Star Wars expanded universe through an episode by episode deep dive into Star Wars, the Star Wars animated series Rebels. Our guests today mm-hmm. is a fan favorite, a friend of the pod, a geeky bubble of joy, and a Wookiee gunner. It's Jonah Murray Masias. How you doing? Good. I love that geeky bubble of joy. <laughs> Feels very appropriate. I want to insert that on my resume from now on. Do it. Amazing. I'll be a reference. <laughs> yeah. So this is definitely a record for how many appearances for the season, but we just couldn't not have you on this finale. Well, so. technically, I haven't been on an episode with January this oh, season. Oh, that's true. That's right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's new for me. Oh my gosh, is this awkward? Yeah, it is. It, it feels like co-host battling. No, not, not, a, not a, It's not awkward at all. Actually, I just was. I just was so jealous of your guys' fun that I was like, we should invite John Leon to the end. That's great. Yeah, I am. I am excited. This is the end of season three, and we are planning some fun stuff for the hiatus, and we are looking forward to season four. But there's some. Oh man, I just want to jump into it. I'm excited. Is there anything? Y'all want to chat about before we get into this? I'm just so happy that you're you guys are still doing the show even though it's not on air. <laughs> like, like I, I know, appreciate right? that because you keep rebels going, and I'm just so happy that you guys are going to enter what is I think my favorite season of oh, the yeah. series. So uh, yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> me, me too. Yeah, I'm rebels is ke- honestly keeping my love for Star Wars alive right now. Because there is a lot mm. that we were being bombarded with, but Rebels is just so pure and yes. so joyous that it makes me it makes it really hard for me to get totally burnt out. So interesting. Got to keep it going, man. I want to unpack that, but I won't. Uh, we we <laughs> could chat. So we could chat. It's all right. Um, maybe bonus episode. We could talk about this, we the state of Star Wars right now. Okay. Um, fair enough. But on a more positive note. Mike, are you ready to get into this? I am ready. Joan Marie, are you ready? I am super ready. All right, let's mix up a quick space refresher and recap what happened in episode 19 of season three, Zero Hour. All right, so we're mashing two episodes together here, episodes mm-hmm. one and two. When they aired, they aired as um, one, right? One, or aired together, rather. Mm-hmm. So we're going to recap this together. So it's a little bit of a long recap, but here it goes. As the rebel cells gather on Adelon to prepare for the attack on Lothal, Thrawn tells Governor Price and Grand Moff Tarkin that he knows of the pending rebel attack and has planned a trap for them. Callus tries to warn the rebels but is captured by Thrawn and gives away the location of Adelon through his transmissions. 
Thrawn then sends his fleet to Adalon with two interdictor ships, making it near impossible for the rebel ships to escape. Commander Sato sacrifices himself by crashing his carrier into one of the interdictors, and in that moment, Ezra is able to escape. Back on Adalon, Kanan attempts to ask the Bendu for help and accuses it of being a coward, which angers the Bendu, <laughs> and then it disappears. The rebels, meanwhile, are forced back to the planet's surface and activate its shield generator. With no options left, Ezra, who's recently escaped, manages to convince Sabine and Rao to lead a small Mandalorian force to destroy the remaining interdictor cruisers. Thrawn's forces manage to breach the base's defenses back on Adalon, but before he can be capt capture the rebels, the Bendu intervenes, attacking the Imperial forces, well, kind of attacking everyone, and distracting them long enough for the rebels to evacuate. At the same time, Hezra and Sabine manage to destroy the interdictor. Callus manages to escape imprisonment and ejects through a escape pod and is picked up by the ghost crew. The rebel fleet then escapes. Back on the surface, Thrawn manages to incapacitate the Bendu, who warns Thrawn that it is foreseen his defeat and then vanishes. The remaining rebel fleet leaves to rendezvous back on Yavin 4, and Hera promises to help Sabine and the Mandalorians in an upcoming mission. Finally, Ezra is worried about the massive defeat of the rebellion that the rebellion has suffered, but Kanan points out that it is in fact a victory since they managed to escape. He then tells Ezra that he foresees a future where everybody is free, but that they will have to fight to make it happen. Deep breath. <sighs> a lot. Okay. So, a lot we're talking about this episode. Um, and so I'm going to lay out a theme just to loosely guide the conversation. So the theme for this season's finale is the Pyrrhic victory. What? Hmm? Huh? Well, let me tell you. A few <laughs> victories come without cost. Nerd. Very few. But the cost of the Pyrrhic victory is ruinous to the victor. A Pyrrhic victory will often involve a heroic sacrifice or people asking, was it really worth it? It happens at the end of a work usually and it will inevitably lead to the bittersweet ending. Named for King Pyrrhus of Euphrus, a Greek general who attempted to conquer Rome. In short, what happened to him is he was defeated by the Roman forces and inflicted far more losses on them than he took in the process. But because he was fighting on Roman turf, they could rebuild their forces easily and he couldn't, meaning he'd burn through a good chunk of his best troops and couldn't get them back. So from Thrawn's point of view, while he inflicted massive losses on Phoenix Squadron and effectively ensured that Lothal would remain under Imperial control for the foreseeable future, he failed in his ultimate goal of wiping them out completely and wasn't even able to end the rebels by capturing or killing their leadership. Commander Sato aside, who committed the ultimate heroic sacrifice. Mm. The rebels are on the run now, but it means that he will have to hunt them down. It does make you pause and wonder what has Thrawn lost that he can't rebuild. He's lost much of his trusted leadership. He's pretty much only left with price at this point. Ezra feels the same given the rebels lost so much before managing to escape, but Kanan talks to him using that as reason to keep fighting for things to be better. But who is to blame for all this? And I would say there are two fools at work in the pirate victory that we have set up. General Dodonna set his ships in a straight path. 
which made it easy for Thrawn's spies to trace him. And all Thrawn needed to do was get Callus's transmission, Fulcrum's tra- Fulcrum transmission, to intersect their trajectory. So by the end of the finale, the Rebels discuss making multiple jumps across the galaxy before they reach the end point to quickly remedy this. And then finally, Constantine. His decision to disobey Thrawn's orders led to the destruction of the interdictor, which you could loosely say allowed Ezra to get back up, which allowed for the destruction of the interdictor, which allowed for the escape of the Phoenix Progen mm-hmm. and the other hammerhead cruisers, which were pivotal in the Battle of Scarif to destroy the shield generator, which allowed the Death Star plans <laughs> to be transmitted to the <laughs> Rebel Alliance, which then led to the discovery of the Death Star's weak point, which allowed subsequently <laughs> the Death Star to be explo- exposed. So could you trace this all back to Constantine's indirect responsibility for the Death Star? I don't know. Maybe. But let me just wrap it up with this. I don't really think that is true, but it's a fun to contem- mm. contemplate. But much like the entirety of The Empire Strikes Back or The Last Jedi, Zero Hour, named for the darkest hour of war, is a Pyrrhic victory episode. A sacrifice all ending to fight another day. It's a common trope that's often employed in the penultimate episode, chapter, or movie, like Empire Strikes Back and The Last Jedi, or in our case, finale. Mm. So there it is. I just talked so much, <laughs> sucked all the air out of the room. On the no, show I like that. that. That's good. I like it's, that. It's funny because Thrawn, in a lot of ways, reminds me of Scar in The Lion King when he says, <laughs> I'm surrounded <laughs> by idiots. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Imagine being like the smartest the MFer in the entire universe and you're just surrounded by morons that keep screwing up your plans. Yes, like, I exactly. kind of feel for, for Thrawn a little bit. Yeah, I do too. It's so true. He had good, he, it was a good plan. Obviously it was a good plan. It was working. Yeah. Yeah. I also like that you brought up the last Jedi. Um, I saw this on a couple places on the internet, so it's not an original idea. And also the one, uh, the breakdown I saw specifically was from kitten communism on Reddit. So shout out to kitten communism for this. But there's actually a lot of Last Jedi parallels to this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and Empire, yeah. But so th- so the um, the first conflict, yeah, Empire too, yeah. So the I mean, first conflict, generator yeah. Like, it's like a there's a big battle where mm-hmm. the the forces seem decimated yep. in space. Um, there's like an overwhelming either Empire in this case or First Order in Last Jedi um, or Hoth. Um, then they send Ezra slash Finn and Rose on a desperate mission to find outside help and he has to go to a physical location to try to find someone who can help them and bring them back to the forces. Then Admiral Sato slash Admiral Holdo sacrifices their lives by ramming their ships into a key ship of the enemy forces. Then the rebels are forced back to their planetary base where they make a desperate last stand and then a powerful force user, either Bendu or Luke, makes a distraction that enables the band of rebels to escape. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was just kind of some interesting I mean, parallels. You could almost one-to-one that in Empire too. Like mm-hmm. everything you were saying was like, oh, in Empire it was Yoda and this, yeah. it was this. And this, I just it was hadn't, this. I hadn't thought about the, the oh, Empire yeah. parallels yet. So now yeah. I'm like, I'm like spinning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I also like how that end shot in last, last of the, in the, in the last Jedi with, mm-hmm. um, Leia and Ray is a lot like Kanan and Ezra 
Mm-hmm. You know, Ezra, who feels like, you know, they've reached the end of the line here. There's no hope left. And and Kanan's the one to reassure him that there is a future for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like an empire, they're, they're, they, they feel lost without the Han Solo, but, you know, they look out longingly out that well, window. I mean, it's, it's, it's the, that they it's, can rescue their friend. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like that we've been wounded and are scattered across the galaxy. We have to go regroup somewhere ending, mm-hmm. which is like, couldn't be more classic Star Wars. I mean, yeah, I, I like it. <clears throat> um, yeah. I would like to talk about the Death Troopers because this is the first animated appearance of the Death Troopers. We saw them, of course, in Rogue One, mm. and I just think they're cool. <clears throat> I don't know if you have any general thoughts about the Death Troopers before I break them down a little bit. I just like their sound effects. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I found out canonically what that is. Do you do you remember, Mike, how they talk? No. It's so interesting. I feel like it sounds so cool. They sound kind of like Kylo Ren, but it's all jumbled. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I do. The Death Troopers are modeled after Navy SEALs. Um, they were designed for stealth and espionage and lethality. And there are also special forces that are supposed to like be able to strike and no one's supposed to even know they were there so they can cover their tracks really well. And they have all this specialized equipment. So their helmets, unlike other stormtroopers, their helmets have like vocal scramblers and sensors and like a heads up display that shows like tactical readouts on the visor. Um, and so the thing that you were referring to, Jonah Marie, is called Death Trooper Encryption, oh. which you talk and it scrambles your voice. And the only other people who can understand it are other Death Troopers that have that helmet on there. Oh, that's fascinating. I had no yeah. idea that was a thing. I know. It's so cool. So like when they're like, <laughs> like no one else can hear what they're saying, but all the other Death Troopers understand it. So it wasn't just me thinking, I just, I don't understand what (laughs) they're saying. It's just, there is a reason behind it. (laughs) Totally. It is really weird because in Rogue One, like I did not like you, it sounds like they're almost saying words. You can, you can kind of hear like at one point it's like, he's like, stop or something like that. But it just comes out like, like you can almost hear it. (laughs) And so I didn't know if like the audio was bad or if it was on purpose, but it was on purpose. I mean, they would have to switch that off theoretically in order to communicate with someone else, right? Like if there was a prisoner mm-hmm. or something, because the prisoner is going to be like, I just don't understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, they, I would assume so. The weird thing is there are clips in season four of them speaking English, but to each other, which oh, is right. weird. So maybe it's just like you're hearing their communication with each other. Maybe. Yeah. I, I assume it's just because it was a kid show. They don't they like didn't want to do subtitles or something. So like they're just like, whatever, just make them speak English. But yeah, <laughs> I would assume in ideal circumstances they only use that amongst themselves and then speak in regular sure. uh, basic to other people. Um there's another cool little thing that they have which is like so minor and geeky, but I just thought it was a cool thing was their pauldron has their rank on it, just kind of like how there's those stormtroopers that have like the orange pauldron or the black pauldron to indicate their rank. But you can only see it through a stormtrooper visor. So all the death troopers look exactly the same unless you're wearing a stormtrooper death trooper helmet. Mm -hmm. Then you can tell like who's the captain of the death troopers or commander of the death troopers. Cool. I, I really like it. 
but it, I wouldn't like it if I were a regular stormtrooper because I'd be so peeved that I wasn't part of the club. <laughs> yeah. Because it seems well, so just elitist, which I like. Yeah, totally. Because uh, it makes sense for the Empire. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because it's... So they're they're kind of cool and like I, I like this kind of sci-fi-y. It feels like Blade Runner-y or something like that. So the Death Troopers were special candidates in like stormtrooper camp you would get selected to be a death trooper and you would be sent to scarif so that's why all the death troopers were there is that's where their special death trooper training camp is it's a warm place to wear all that armor (laughs) i know right (laughs) well they were met they were required to meet rigid physical and ideological standards they also do you think people just want to be death troopers because scarif is like space hawaii and they're like maybe I mean, it sounds like really hard. So, like, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like how like Navy SEALs like train on the beach. Like, I'm sure they're not like chilling back with my ties. Um, <laughs> but it is a beautiful setting. I do think Scarif is one of the coolest planets we've ever been to. So, I I feel that it is cool. I just find it weird to put your archives there. It's yeah. just like that's the last place <laughs> I want to put an archive where it could get eroded by sand or you know weather patterns <laughs> might strike or something i don't know (laughs) i just like to i just like to think that the like the jimmy buffett star wars equivalent was the one who was in charge of like finding a place for the archives (laughs) and he just like had his hawaiian shirt underneath his like officers here and he's like yeah scarif it's tactically makes so much sense but he just wanted to like have a margarita on the beach jimmy buffett move burger (laughs) in paradise yeah (laughs) wait hold on never mind what am I? What a what's cheeseburger? What's the cheeseburger in paradise? <laughs> That's uh, uh, I was thinking two tickets to paradise, and I meant to saying <laughs> whatever. Yeah, cheeseburger in paradise. Uh, that is Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, but I can't think of the melody for some reason. I don't know. My band actually, one of the members of my band wants to cover that song. Like legit, he just bring it up, brought it up last week. So Sick song. I mean, I'll, that song is tight. I'll let you know when we do it. Um, but back to the death troopers, this was interesting is they not only needed to meet physical and ideological standards, but they needed to meet height and weight standards that exceeded typical troopers. So you will see that death troopers are skinnier and taller than the rest of them. So they're very vain. Um, or is it, they just didn't have a big budget for making costumes. (laughs) They're like, "Mm." (laughs) yeah, you have to literally just be able to fit in this. Yeah, well, I think probably from the movie standpoint, they just wanted them to be more imposing. So I think they probably just hired tall actors for it. And then they just figured out a canonical reason for it. But um, they were subjected to a battery of physical tests and were given classical or classified surgical enhancements. Classical training in piano. (laughs) (laughs) They were classically trained in piano and violin. Um, That would help. Yeah, no, they're giving cl- classified surgical enhancements, making them somewhat beyond human. Um, and they had to complete rigorous training in exotic environments to be stronger, faster, and more resilient than the norm. Like dealing with all that sand. Fair. <laughs> That's true. You can't easily run <laughs> on that. No. No. <laughs> yep. And then I have one like really weird, one last weird uh, death trooper fact that just tickled me to no end. Did you know... Did you say it tickled you to death? Tickled me to death, troopers. Did you know that in canon, in current canon, not Legends canon, which there's a lot of weird stuff in Legends canon, in current canon, there are zombie stormtroopers, uncontrollable zombie stormtroopers? I mean, cool. 
<laughs> I'm not shocked. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I'm not shocked when you start something with in legends. <laughs> no, I'm saying and then, in canon. And then it's, in canon, uh, yeah. Oh, Jesus, in canon? I actually yeah. am shocked about that. I was saying not in legends, in canon. So Project Black I mean, I guess Wing, the, the da- if they have anything to do with the Dathomir, like Night Sisters, then it makes sense to me. So they don't. It's kind of oh. interesting, and it ties into the Death Troopers. Um, Project Blackwing referred to the Galactic Empire's Military Department of Advanced Weapons Research, mm-hmm. which was a project that mm-hmm. was tasked by Palpatine to unlock immortality oh. by resurrecting necrotic tissue. And sure. so in their weird experiments, and it's a super secret project, they accidentally created a virus called the sickness that basically turned a bunch of stormtroopers into murderous, uncontrollable zombies. Sure. Um, and so in canon, what is interesting about that is those the rumors of these experiments came out, and I think it probably has some ties to in Rise of Skywalker, like the Sith scientist people, um, that they were doing weird experiments to bring back people from death. And so Palpatine named the death troopers that specifically to sow uncertainty about them, about their origins and create fear around them. So people would see them and be like, wait, are those, 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 are they undead zombies? Like they don't speak English. They're, they're scary. And so that was like a tactical decision for him to kind of like capitalize on the fear around those rumors in the Palpatine galaxy. Palpatine has so much time on his hands. I know. Seriously, <laughs> too much time. There's like so many complicated, I, I feel like whenever there's something that's like overly complicated, they're like, well, Palpatine. And I'm like, that dude does not have that much time. I don't know. All he ever seems to do is sit on a throne and cackle. Uh, I don't know, man. He makes a lot of plans. He probably he probably like works from home like a like a dad, and he just like has his like laptop up and like his headphones, and he's just like he's a workaholic for zombies. sure, for sure, a workaholic. <laughs> yeah, but he all just does it from his throne. Like he doesn't even have to go anywhere. I don't know, man. Too many plans. Yeah. So that's my deep dive on Death Troopers. I think they're personally pretty cool. I really I like too. the design. I like the voice. Um, Same. I feel like their guns are a little weird for like big scary troopers. They kind of have like little pew pew guns, but yeah, whatever. And, and I know it's not rebels related, but I like how they showed up in the Mandalorian. Mm, yeah. yeah, very I like briefly. Anything. I yep. like anything yeah. about the Mandalorian. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> like honestly, I'm like, yeah, that's sick. I don't know. Yep. Speaking of the Mandalorian, I my wife is out of town this weekend, so I had like a little <laughs> bit of a boys weekend, and, <laughs> and I got wild. Have you guys seen the Chef Show? Oh, yeah, no. I've seen it all. Oh, that is wild! I watch it. <laughs> I love that show. I watch it every time. Every season it comes out, I it's it so tickles good. me to death. And it's done by John Favreau, and there's yeah. an episode at Skywalker Ranch where they right. cook with Dave Filoni, and yeah. it made me so happy. I was just it's sitting amazing. there eating a my uh, oven baked pizza and watching the <laughs> chef the show with Dave Filoni. Yeah. And no, I, you did it right. That's the thing great. about that show is you have to make sure you're eating while watching that show. <laughs> like you have to plan a meal around it because yeah. you're gonna want to eat. And Dave Filoni is just so pure and just like, oh my gosh in his little hat just cooking little food oh my gosh i love that man <laughs> do you think do you think how many millions of dollars do you think dave Filoni has <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot do you think it's a lot do you yeah. think it's 
It's not close to a billion. There's no way, but <laughs> enough to not just wear his own merch shirts every single. He's like he like wear. It's like the guy who's in a band who wears only his band T-shirt. Like every time I see him, he's wearing like some sort of a Rebels wolf Loaf Wolf shirt, shirt with like Arabesh <laughs> on it. Mm. All right. Yeah, I was um, curious. What were we talking about again? Oh yeah, Rebels. Okay. <laughs> um. So. The net, I I wanted to get your your um thoughts, Jonah Murray specifically, because I feel like you got some feels about um Kanan and Ezra's little moment in the front where Kanan says he 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 doubts that he could teach Ezra anything more because he had limited Jedi training, and Ezra reassures him that he taught him how to be a good person. Yeah. Oh gosh, what a beautiful mm. pure moment between them because. Kanan is solely thinking as a master um, instead of thinking as, a, you know, someone who is essentially a space dad to Ezra. Space dad. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, so, you know, that's what parents do. They instill these principles and these morals in their children and they are constantly there to help them see and help them learn throughout their lives and like just like my mom is mm -hmm. uh, that source for me so you know Kanan I it was interesting to see him just fall back on that old Jedi mentality when really he's been more to Ezra mm -hmm. than that and Ezra I just love how it's he doesn't do things for glory. He does things because he's good. He's a good natured kid. Mm -hmm. And, and he knows that Kanan has so much more to teach him about being a person. And that's, that's what he's seeking. And I love that about him. And, uh, and I knew in that conversation that early on that Kanan was going to die. Like I knew that was going to, <laughs> I was like, no, I don't want my head to go this way. But it, I knew, and I had written it in my podcast notes, which I pulled up just in case I needed to pull up any other uh, thoughts that I had at the time. But yeah, I had specifically written this conversation made me think Kanan was going to die. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that would have like put me in a waiting for the off season, just in dread, like spinning just in the back of my head, just thinking like, Oh my God, they're going to kill him. They're going to kill him. They're going to kill him for like six months until the next <laughs> season comes out. Yeah. Uh, that's not a good place to be. <laughs> and they came close in this episode too, with that yeah. uh, bombardment. And I thought, Oh my God, it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, Totally. Um, yeah, I think that's interesting because I've brought this up a hundred million times, but I, I think it's really interesting to think about the orthodoxy of the Jedi and that's such a core thing to the prequels. How many times have you heard a Jedi master talk to their Padawan? It's like, I have nothing more to teach you because like they've completed their Jedi path and then they kind of just like separate and do their own thing. And it feels very like they were never taught just like the basics of like how to be like a person, how to interact mm. with people, how to yeah. just like think critically. Like they probably didn't even get math lessons or anything. It's right. like <laughs> the only thing of Jedi master is good for, for their Padawan, it seems is how to do Jedi stuff. Yeah. And then when they're at the end of their Jedi path, they're like, well, guess we're done. Bye. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> basically, basically. And that's, yeah. and we can see that kind of happen with Luminara and Barris. Mm -hmm. I feel like Barris might have completed her training a little bit 
more than Ahsoka. And we see her start to stray in a different way. And Luminara, where's Luminara? Luminara is nowhere there to help guide her. Mm-hmm. I, I think, I mean, this is me playing devil's advocate. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if I fully believe this yet. But I, as I'm like listening to this, because I've never really thought about it much, I, I, I think so much of like, teaching is interjecting like um self-advocacy skills and like the ability to learn or grow on your own Mm. um and so i think part of that release for jedi is that like the force is your teacher kind of like for us it's like life is your teacher but having the skills to know how to like um you know, find those lessons and take those learnings for yourself is pretty invaluable. It's like the whole metaphor of giving someone a fish or, you know, teaching them how to fish. Mm. And so I think probably that's what a lot of that release that you're talking about is, Peter, of like, I have nothing more to teach you. It's like probably because the next thing is like you have to teach yourself now for this because real learning happens when you learn on your own or experience on your own or do it on your own. So maybe that's what maybe that's what that is. Mm-hmm. That was just maybe an articulate bullshitting that. I, <laughs> no, <didn't. laughs> that actually makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it's usually, and it's actually, I would say that's pretty a prevalent mindset in American culture. It's yeah. like, well, you're 18 now, <laughs> <laughs> you're <Yeah>. an adult, <laughs> no, totally, which isn't necessarily good. Yeah, it just is. Yeah, right, 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 right. You're you're totally because it is so American. But I know, like, like my family is very Italian, and a lot of people in my family still live in Italy and it's like that's not necessarily a thing it's like they're very communal they're communal people and they're (laughs) very okay with like living together for their whole lives and like everyone lives in one house and like we all just support each other and it's like not very Mm -hmm. American Mm. yeah I think you bring up a really good point Mike and I think that is an important thing like you can't just coddle the people you love and just show them how to do everything basically. You know, I've been thinking a lot about American society as you brought it up is, you know, we get taught at school all these things about math and writing and like the hard Man, you, skills you to get hate a job. Math. What's your thing with math today? <laughs> First of all, it's hard. Second of all, it's boring. Time, man. Third of all, it's for nerds. You should play sports. <laughs> Oh. It's the default subject to hate, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, it, it is. No, I hate it. I'm no good at it. Um, but it's 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 just the general idea of like, you know. Hey, do you know school- who has a song about hating math? <laughs> Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> <laughs> math sucks is literally the song. <laughs> I haven't heard that one. We're going to cover L- that look one up, too. Look up oh, that's awesome. by Jimmy Buffett. Um, so, I mean, when we go through our elementary school and high school and middle school and all that, um, basically it's just to prepare you to go to college. You're just being taught the skills to succeed in college. And then you're in college being taught the skills to succeed in work and capitalism. It's it's phony baloney. And you're never taught. I, how many adults do you know that graduate from college and they're like, I don't know how to like have a conversation with someone. Like, I don't know how to be in a functional relationship. I don't know how to talk to my parents. Like the basic human skills and basic psychology of just like, being a human in the world and being okay with like what's going on is never taught to you as a person. And I feel like that's kind of like the Jedi too is like, yeah, they'll teach you how to swing a lightsaber and they'll teach you how to move things with your mind. And they'll teach you how to swing from ropes with a frog alien on your back. But like (laughs) this, will they teach you how to like have a best friend? I don't know. No, it's, that's really, you know, 
it's a really interesting point to me. I, I, I think there's a lot of parallel between what you're talking about, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull it into a bit more of an abstraction for a second mm-hmm. because I think something you're talking about is pretty like on the nose because so so for American culture, a lot of that traces back to the depression era mindset of college used to be, it didn't used to be a thing for getting and preparing for a job. It used to be something you did for life enrichment or you wanted to be part of a social dialogue or you wanted to engage further in like this very, you know, narrow uh, topic or art or something. It didn't used to be to get a job, but then the Mm -hmm. depression hit and we changed our mindset. We went, well, now we need to make, uh, whatever president that was, we need to make a stronger workforce. We need to have college and, you know, secondary education more focused on that next step after high school so we can enliven the economy. And so all of a sudden college became that when it didn't used to be that. So similar to the, the Jedi, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, the force maybe didn't used to be this thing of preparing you to fight the Sith, yeah. preparing you to like be that. a warrior, preparing you so to... True to be a, you know, a commander and a general. But so it's like mm-hmm. almost Sith error mentality of, okay, now we have to switch the Jedi and we have to become this thing that the force is the end game is defeat Sith, which yeah. is so Ezra's thing. But I it's know. like pre that, pre that, that crisis, that's not what it was about. Yeah. Well, I think Ezra's grown and that's one of the things that I don't know if I've said this specifically, but I'm, I don't know if this is exactly right, and this is definitely my opinion. I need to formulate this thought more, but I feel like Ezra is maybe the most pure embodiment of what a Jedi should be. Like if the Force mm, wanted really? someone to be a quote-unquote Jedi, I would think it would be what Ezra is because this is a good ex- exchange of that because it's like, mm. he's like, no, I'm talking about like you taught me how to be a good person. Mm. Like he's looking at things from a bigger scale than just black and white. He's looking at things from, I mean, yeah, he was definitely like, we have to be the Sith. But then he learned after meeting Kenobi, like, oh, I was wrong about that. And at the end of the series, he's not purely good. He's not purely bad. He's more in the middle and he cares about his family and cares about people enough Mm. to sacrifice for them more so than some like orthodoxy to the ancient Jedi text. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> I mean, I, I appreciate how someone of his age at this point in time is, is is acknowledging that it's more than just swinging a lightsaber. Because mm-hmm. that's what that's one of the first things we see him do is swinging Kanan's lightsaber and being amazed by, yeah, totally. you know, this thing of, of being Which a is Jedi. Luke too, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally. And sorry to jump into, but you see it in this episode too. He's still using a blaster, which I think other Jedi, like if someone on the Jedi Council saw that, they'd be like, oh, how perverted. <laughs> or, or Obi-Wan. Oh, yeah, I'm exactly. <laughs> and so like, I think that's like an actual indicator of exactly what you're talking about like he sees things differently yeah it's an interesting thing to think about how i feel like kanan's like the prototype where because i feel like kanan is the embodiment of what it means to be a jedi even Mm -hmm. right up until the very end of his life where he sacrifices himself like that is what it means to be a jedi to be Mm -hmm. that selfless and i think ezra is on that path he's he's being less selfish and more selfless. And that's exactly where that kind of person with those abilities needs to be. Yeah. And I I don't know this, but I wonder if Kanan 
benefited from not finishing his Jedi training. Yeah, oh, probably. I think so. Um, yeah. I, I've never really considered this. And so it's, I'm glad that this conversation is being had before we go into the fourth season because I'm definitely going to keep my eye out for this. Yeah. Um, interesting. Yep. Cool. Uh, the actual episode itself, um, did anyone feel like, I mean, so I like this episode, I do, but is uh, it's it's a lot of fighting, right? It's a lot of, yep. I, I, I'm curious to know like how much of this episode is just like space battles and shooting. It's a lot of it. And they, they said lot, that. Yeah. yeah, they said it was their biggest space battle they've ever animated and they had to mm-hmm. do like animation tricks for it. But you know what's interesting is that even though there's so much um, fighting and, and space good stuff happening, <laughs> it, it actually <laughs> highlights everyone's strengths. Like, I, it, you know, mm. we have Hera who's trying to take command and, and trying to hold up her own against Thrawn. And, you know, you have Ezra who takes off and tries to seek help and, and Commander Sato who does the most selfless thing possible. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I, I love how it focuses on individual characters and, and highlights those strengths of those characters. Absolutely. Mm. And we need to pour one out for June Sato and Captain Mustache. They both went down this wow, episode. Wow, Constantine and Sato. Um, no, Constantine was a fool. <laughs> yeah, he was. Like I said, his fault, his fault for blowing up the Death Star. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, that's so like... I think it's, Price uh, said it at one point too. Like he's more politician than commander or something like that. Yeah. And this, this I want is the, gl- I want the glory, yeah. glory <laughs> of the kill. <laughs> what a dork! I love that. Yeah, and it, it, it also questions Thrawn's strategy. Like he knows Constantine isn't someone that is super reliable because I, I feel like he's messed up one or two times before as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, really Thrawn, you couldn't think of anyone else to come or, with you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's that, or maybe it just like belies the bureaucracy of oh, the, Oh yeah. He has yeah. no choice. It's yeah. like, Oh, it's like, fuck, like I got to take this two fists <laughs> into battle. Like I just know this is going to suck ass, but here we that's go. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. It's like at work when I get paired with someone, I really don't want to work with them. Like, damn it. that per- Okay. I guess we're going to have to do this. Like, <laughs> whatever totally yeah that i think that's that's like the perfect encapsulation of captain mustache to me is like that guy at work no one wants to work with. Yeah. <laughs> do you guys watch what we do in the shadows yeah um he's just an energy vampire yeah. <laughs> he's just like he's such an energy vampire <laughs> so good Oh have um, you seen that show, January? Oh, you've seen, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> so good. I just started watching it because I and I started watching it because I was at work and someone's like, "Dude, that guy's a freaking energy vampire," <laughs> and I was like, "What does that mean?" And like, I knew what it meant, but like, I, I'm like, "Oh, I've never heard that term. That's funny." That like, I I got it right away. And they're like, "Oh, it's from that uh, that show in that movie." I was like, "Oh man, I need to watch that." And yeah, I'm watching it's so it. I'm like, good. I love that so movie good. too. Yeah. Um. A cool little behind-the-scenes animation thing for this is I didn't realize the explosions in this battle, like when Jun Sato rams his ship into the interdictor, are the actual stage effects from A New Hope and Return of the Jedi. Like, they took the elements, the special effects from the film and layer them on top of the animation. So that's kind of why they look so cool. Impressive. Wow. And I remember saying that in the first episode, that was one of the first things about Rebels that kind of hit me was I remember seeing a star, a TIE fighter explode and it looked exactly like the weird cheesy effects from A New Hope. And I was like, oh, 
all right, they're doing something different than Clone Wars. This is cool. I'm I interested. I, I don't think we've ever told this story, but I was so bummed I didn't <laughs> go with you. At the time, you were working at... I don't think it matters that we say it because you don't work there anymore. Okay. Sure. <laughs> you can edit that. Right. Uh, I worked at an unnamed large tech company. Yeah. <laughs> no, but... And then you were like... and I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't know where I was working. Somewhere in the city. Mm-hmm. And you had... You were like, oh, you should come to my work. They're doing like a, they're previewing a star, a new Star Wars show. Mm-hmm. And this is before Rebels. And I didn't know what that, I was like, oh, that sounds coolish. But like, I'm not a huge, uh, oh God, I'm going to break some hearts here. I'm not a huge Clone Wars fan. I like pieces of it. And I was mm-hmm. just like, I don't know if I'm interested in that. But I so wish I would have gone there with you. That just feels like such a special thing to be able to see that before. Yeah. It was fun, but it was also like a little weird because like you would expect it like when you hear like, oh, I got to see Rebels special premiere before it came out. Like in in my head, I'm like, there's like a red carpet and like Dave Filoni was there. But like it was like they just like sent the like stream to one of our meeting rooms and like had like two stormtroopers from the 501st show up and like yeah. take pictures. And then we just like sat in a meeting room and watched it. Uh, okay. <laughs> but it was still sick. We saw these, we saw the first two episodes before they were out. And I, 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 I knew from the start, I liked the show. That's so cool. Yeah. So that was fun. <laughs> um, so we didn't talk about, all right, we're going to, we're, we're going to give it up to the group. Do you want to talk about Jan Dodonna or do you have Bendu thoughts? I have, I actually have callous thoughts. Oh <laughs> yeah. Right. He might be, he might be the big one. Okay. I honestly had no thoughts about him in this episode what? other than I liked, I liked his like cool messy hair. I'm like, he's transitioning. This to hot was callus. the yeah, he's hot, he's hot, hot yeah. callus. Yeah, this, is, this is the Gosling that my, callus. That was my one thought. <laughs> Well, this is Gosling Callus, dude. <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, I just really love how that character went from that cheesy bad guy who's like mm-hmm. twirling his mustache kind yep. of guy to they saw an opportunity and they thought, let's give this character a bit more depth. And they mm-hmm. went with it. And I like how you have him contributing and as much as he can to the rebellion's efforts as uh, while still being in the imperial ranks and obviously they were on to him thrawn specifically and Ooh. i just i love that fight between him and callus at ezra's tower yeah that was cool of all I, places i also like how thrawn like had the death troopers but he was like stay outside and like, <laughs> he's like i want to beat this guy up first <laughs> I I will think I will say I think Callus is the one, if not the most interesting character in Rebels to me, and yeah. he's someone I would love a book on. I would read mm-hmm. his story and his journey to see how this, you know, his his Callus was built, you know, towards the <laughs> Empire, mm-hmm. because he's really interesting. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's 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 just fascinating. His whole origin story on Onderon, Saw Gerrera, like there's a lot to work with there. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't even know that. I mean, it, where did you get his part of this background from him from? Uh, it's from the episode with him and Zeb. Uh, the oh, lost, right. The, yeah. I, I forget what the lost. Uh, no, wait, oh, what the, is it called? The, yeah, camp, the one I, on the moon. I always think about that as the camping episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's where he talks about oh. how uh, Saw Gerrera's group had... Uh, 
demolished his uh, unit, and it was, right. a, it was a it was a Lasat um, part of Saw Gerrera's group that that's had right. destroyed them, and that's how he grew some hatred or a lot of hatred for the Lasats. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, and his and he basically buckled down as a as an imperial and decided to like this was this is this has got to change. There needs to be more order. There needs to be more organization, and you know that's a slippery slope. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. The one, the only thing that bugged me about that encounter between Thrawn and Callus, and this is such a minor nitpick that like I always get weird about these things, is I hated when he was like, "You have a heart of a rebel." I'll take that as a compliment. Because like, why does Thrawn say like? Is that something Thrawn says to people he throws in jail? Like he's like, "Go to jail. You're captured. You have the heart of a rebel." <laughs> I know, like, say something less cool to someone where they're they're going to be like, hell yeah, I am. Yeah, no, it's like, what did you expect him to say? You know he wants to be a rebel. But then again, this is, that's like our, that's our earth connotation. I wonder if there's like the connotation of like, what what would that be akin to in space? Like, what's the bad thing that, that, that could be like saying like, you have the heart of a, I don't, I don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's like a rebel is like MFR and spit in arabesh yeah what's well, not so badass i don't know I can't, <laughs> even, I can't even really think of something yeah so that was the only thing that bugged me but yeah you have the heart of a yankee it's <laughs> 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 just like a civil war oh that's perfect <laughs> fair like maybe that's what it's like they're just like the southerners and they're just like you're a yeah. real yankee yeah totally okay i guess that makes sense it still bugged me though to them it's just like so disgusting like oh those yankees okay i don't know i'll stop saying that word (laughs) i did want to talk about the bendu a little bit because i thought that this was there's some cool stuff here is there (laughs) well (laughs) yes there is some cool stuff Mostly, the the coolest thing is that Thrawn goes, what kind of Jedi devilry is this? Oh, gosh, that was so good. Him <laughs> saying that word specifically, because, yeah. you you know, oh, I mean, yeah. they've said hell and yeah, I don't think they've ever said heaven or anything in Star I Wars. I don't think so, no. Yeah, yeah, but it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> but I like that in Thrawn's logical mind, devilry. he's just like, this is black magic. Oh, <laughs> like, <laughs> Sorcery. Clutch my pearls. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, I mean, there's some interesting... So, Carrie Beck on Rebels Recon, thematically, I thought there was some interesting thing. Um, and visually, I thought this just visually looked cool. But Carrie Beck, who's a producer, said, Bendu doesn't represent a point of view between dark and light. He just exists. So he can comment on the very nature of existence without feeling like he's in defense of any side. Um, and so I think that's kind of an interesting aspect to hear. Um, and you mentioned yeah. it too. You know, he's not, he's not like, okay, you convinced me I'm going to be a rebel now and beat the empire. He's like, everyone get off my planet. I'm going to shoot lightning at everyone. Leave now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He's, is is like, as much as I like him, because I do, um, I think part of there's so much of what he said, he's just already said before. And maybe that's what the point was is like, mm-hmm. Callus knew he was going to say all this stuff so he could like poke him. But it literally just sounds like a tape recording. Like you've, like this is the message he gives to everyone. 
Yeah. Well, like, that's, I think that's, Caden pointed that out, which I thought was a fun point where he's like, yeah, I know, I know. You're the one in the middle. You're going to yeah, say it again. Oh, shit. Shut up. <laughs> like, I think that's like, it's, he's almost in his own orthodoxy of being the one in the middle that he can't see outside of anything, which I think is kind of interesting. I also find it interesting how the general fan fandom just thinks of the middle as like a little bit of good and a little bit of bad and you get gray. I'm like, <laughs> mm-hmm. no, I mean, yeah. for I guess in a, in some cases that is the case, but in Bendu's situation, it's what like what Carrie Beck said. He just exists. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and it's I not, think yeah, there's mi- the mi- the middle. Yeah, exactly what you said. It doesn't mean like I'm a little Sith and a li- like on the weekends I'm Sith and on the weekdays <laughs> I'm I'm Jedi. Like it doesn't mean that. It, yeah, it, yeah. It, it means you exist above and beyond those things. You, you're not. You are almost like yeah. You don't even consider them. I don't know. Is indifferent? Yeah. Would indifferent be a good word? It's almost yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like in yeah, pretty much. It's like indifferent. Yeah, it's just you don't even recognize those things. It's like I totally. don't even, nah, those things don't exist. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think I even get caught up in it. I think I probably even said it about Ezra earlier when we were talking about like he's not good or he's bad, you know. I think Dave Filoni said something <laughs> really interesting. This will probably make it um maybe it'll make it you more into this, Mike. Dave Filoni, this is a a exact quote from him. He said Bendu's ultimate goal is to sleep, and he keeps getting woken up and has love to deal it. with it. Okay, I'm in. <laughs> I That's love his it. ultimate goal in yeah. life. Oh, so okay. he maybe is Bendu's yep, the most me. relatable Star Wars character in the entire galaxy. AP5 and Bendu. Like, yeah. Leave me alone. Let me sleep. Yeah. And I think he was like, yeah, okay, fine. You guys can stay on my planet as long as you don't make any trouble and just let me sleep. And at a certain point, he just keeps getting woken up by Kanan and Ezra. And now this big battle and he's sick of it. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And I also thought the actual animation of it was interesting. Um, I couldn't get any exact confirmation on this, but they said in Rebels Recon that they combined animation and effects and Killen Plunkett said that they were inspired by 80s effects like Ghostbusters mm. and gallons of ink swirling in a fish tank. Um, and so if you watch it, I don't know if they actually did this, but I wonder if they like literally filmed ink in a fish tank and like blended it with the animation to get like that cool swirling storm effect. That's awesome. That w- I wouldn't be surprised. So yeah, mm. I, thought, I just thought mm. visually it looked stunning. Sneak. But I just love that Bendu is like that old man who just <laughs> get off my lawn sort of guy. <laughs> totally. And I guess, okay, so I'm not, no explicit spoilers. I'm, I'm laying down my foot on this. No explicit spoilers, but we have to talk about it if we're talking about Bendu. He's, what he says to Thrawn at the end. He says. I, uh, okay, we, we, we really don't want to, I mean. Yeah, because I mean, I there's people that to. might be listening to this podcast who have oh, never watched the Oh, I'm so sorry show. then about the Kanan stuff earlier Oh, then. I don't think. Oh, uh, yeah, see, we're fine. Okay. See, all right, fine. I, I, I'm all for just being an open book. I, I don't think there are too many. So it, maybe we'll say this. If you've not seen the season finale of Rebels, um, skip, stop listening. <laughs> <laughs> stop listening to our podcast. Delete it off of your now. phone. Well, I do and think unsubscribe. I do think we need. I do think we should. I mean, it's one of the coolest parts. Like, yeah, to me is that that line means nothing to you mm-hmm. until you see the finale. And I love when show creators or authors or filmmakers have that. J.K. Rowling had that. Like something I love about Harry Potter is she had that kind of foresight mm-hmm. and like 
in her books to plant so many little seeds everywhere that um, just becomes something awesome. And this is a moment of that that's so successful. Yeah. Yeah. So he says, I see your defeat like many arms surrounding you in a cold embrace. Which Dave Filoni and Rebels Recon again, they ask about, you know, he says a prediction for Thrawn. Does that mean anything? And he like kind of smiles and is like, well, I don't know. Is that a literal thing? That's something Thrawn in the audience has to decide. (laughs) I'm like, you know, you jerk. (laughs) And it's great. Yeah. It's a great metaphor. Mm hmm. So, yeah, in context of the final episode of Rebels, that was a really cool realization to go back and realize that. Um, Bendu literally saw his cold embrace in many arms. I, and it's, it was fun to speculate on, too, at the time, because, mm-hmm. you know, I always think of, um, what's it, uh, Julius Caesar and and how, uh, you know, he was betrayed and, and whatnot or stabbed in the back or whatever. So I just really liked how you can try to figure out, like, what it means. What does it ultimately mean? Yeah. <laughs> Beware the Ides of March. Yes, yeah. exactly. Where he gets that saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. That is interesting. And I don't remember the um I don't remember the discourse in real time after this this came out, but I, did people actually predict the mm, what remember. was gonna happen to not that I know of, the, no. Yeah, that people were like, oh, it's space whales. <laughs> that would have sounded so wild if someone was like, All right, I've cracked the code. Based on this one line, he's gonna get taken by space whales. And be like, You are freaking crazy, dude. <laughs> No, I I don't think anyone, maybe someone did and it just, you know, kind of, you know, went under the radar and just no one picked up on it. But totally. yeah, yeah, I don't think anyone had figured it out. Yeah. And that's one of those things, too. If you heard that before, like if it was confirmed, you'd be like, that is such a dumb idea. I can't <laughs> believe they made such a stupid choice. And then like after you see, oh, whoa. Oh, cool. All right. Yeah, I think I, I think the first thing I said after I watched the episode, I think I probably tweeted, I texted Mike and I said, damn it, I like space whales now. Yeah, it was like something <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. It, yeah. Cool. That, that is, is cool. freaking cool. What else? Big, what are, what are some of the big pieces we've missed? Because um, I feel like we're, I'm fine with it. It's this finale. We're jumping all over the place. Yeah. Um. I feel like here, um, just because we know that Hera and Kanan's relationship starts to become something we see more of yeah. in, this, in the next mm-hmm. upcoming season. So, like, you see a little bit happening here where mm-hmm. she's yeah. worried for his safety. Mm-hmm. And a she lot calls of people him are, love. Yes, yeah. And a lot of people are like, well, the stuff that happened in season four kind of came out of nowhere because it kind of died out after season one. I'm like, yeah. well, I mean, it's just Disagree, it wasn't yeah. center stage. And mm-hmm. yeah. here you, you see it start to transition into what we'll eventually see in season four yeah mm-hmm, and also totally. they're they're at war yeah they're not yeah going, they're not, not going, going to on be. too many dates yeah <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> she's setting up a base she's doing a lot of stuff now that things are a little more established she has some time to you know be you know get a little closer with space dad i like it but yeah and then of course sabine was a was a great addition yeah. I think, to the episode i wanted to bring that up I actually felt a little weird about it. Did um, you? Yeah. I feel like the whole Mon Mothma thing was really weird and awkward. Um, and like, just like, okay, we're going to go out and get like reinforcements, which I feel like would have been kind of an exciting thing. It would show mm-hmm. an interesting blind spot 
to Thrawn's kind of master plan that he couldn't imagine a world where there's a rebel alliance. There's a giant force out there that he's not accounting for. And so I think that would have been a really interesting place for, you know, more reinforcements to come out of nowhere that he didn't expect. And so like, it just felt weird to me that they're like, all right, we're going to go talk to Mon Mothma and get some people. And then she's just like, no, sorry. Good luck being captured. I will try to get you back, I guess. And then he like has to go to Sabine too and get like a couple people. And that's, I don't know. It just felt very awkward to me. Interesting. Um, it did. It felt a little filler. Um, it, it, it felt like a storytelling element that could have been a sentence rather than a scene. Mm-hmm. Or like, like a transmission or something like that. Yeah. I, I, it, yeah, a lot. I, I, my one criticism of this, these two episodes is, um, I, there was so much little filler to get to places, which is fine. Not even filler, just, um, it wasn't, a, it wasn't super tight and it was mostly the Ezra stuff that wasn't mm-hmm. super tight to me. Um, I do like how, because, you know, again, referring to the fourth season, you know, like this also transitions into what will eventually become, you know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. you know, going back to the Mandalorians for assistance and the Mandalorians being so preoccupied with their own stuff. It's like, OK, well, I tried. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But then Sabine's like, no, we have to help because I believe that if he believes that we can, then we should do it. Mm-hmm. And then obviously they repay the favor in what will eventually be Heroes of Mandalore. Yeah. yeah. I and just I wonder that- I wonder if it could have been done by going like it, it would have been like that Deus Machina moment of like all of a sudden Sabine and her crew flying out of nowhere um would have been more successful than like go to their house, have a meeting, yeah. talk like talk about talk it out a little bit. Um, See, that's the thing. I don't think the Mandalorians would have done that. They're so into what's going on with their own uh, clans and houses and everything's kind of falling apart because of what they did to Gar Saxon. Mm-hmm. So it's like they have to prepare. And so the rebel fighters are completely out of sight, out of mind. So he, yeah. he had to physically show up and be like, we need your help. Yeah. Um, because it, it wouldn't have worked any other way. Yeah. I think I agree with you both. I'm the one in the middle. <laughs> um, <laughs> Cheap. <laughs> well, because I think from a like canon and from a from a yeah canonical standpoint, Jonah Marie's totally right that that makes total sense. Like they wouldn't just get up and leave in the middle of their own conflict. Um, but from a storytelling standpoint, I think it just would have been more exciting. Like if Ezra had left and you never really know what he's up to. Oh, I see. And then all of a sudden you're expecting Mon Mothma and the big fleet to come in. And then all of a sudden Mandalorian. Yeah, I'm a hundred percent with you, Joan Marie. And like the, yeah, like the, I, I I agree. He has Mm -hmm. to physically go to them because they're, they're stubborn people. (laughs) Um, But I just don't know what we needed to see it. But I, I think, I think that ultimately the storytellers were like, I think we need to see it because we need more things to happen. Yeah. But I was like, that's fine. And yeah. this is a nitpick. This nuts. It didn't. It didn't bug me. If I would. If we didn't have a podcast, I would have never thought about it. Mm-hmm. Like you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Like this is, <laughs> there's so yeah. many things I would never think about if I wasn't being like, okay, I have to be critical with people about yeah. it. So. I couldn't tell what was on Tristan's armor, but Sabine painted a little doodle on his. Uh, I think it was a pauldron. DKNY logo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that seems about right for Tristan. Yeah, because his name is Tristan. I just I just assume <laughs> yeah. that. Oh gosh. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I do like how I do like how they took up uh, Sabine's art there and you know decided mm-hmm. to be more of what they used to be and not so um what's it sterile with the totally. white um, yeah. imperial white that they were wearing. Yeah, and we we talked about it in uh Legacy of Mandalore that that was a very specific design choice that the they were all in white. The, even their their ancestral armor was very gray and dingy. Their their castle was gray. They're covered in snow, and so it like very. It was a loss literal of color, loss yeah, of life. Yeah, totally. And now they're starting to get life back in. Now that Sabine's in their life, yay! Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, and then very very quickly, we didn't talk about General Dan Jan Dodonna. There actually isn't a ton. You mean JD? Yep, General I guess, I guess, I guess it's GD, which isn't as <laughs> no, cool. I think it's J. I think it's a J A N. It's not oh, a okay. weird Star Wars spelling. Um, it is a girl's name, though. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> people, I remember someone saying that in elementary school <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> or middle school. Maybe it was like, "Did you know that guy's name is Jan? That's a girl's name." <laughs> I was like, "Cool." <laughs> or, yeah, um, but. Um, this is the first time that Jen Dodonna gets any um, real play. And so voiced by Michael Bell, who was in A New Hope, but not as Dodonna. As a younger man, Michael Bell played Commander Willard. Had, More like had Dope one Donna. <laughs> yep. Sorry. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry. Um, but Jan Dodonna was one of the generals in the Rebellion High Command. He controlled the largest fleet in the Rebellion and was the mastermind behind the plan that destroyed the first Death Star. So we see him in A New Hope. He's the dude with the beard. Um, and he started as a bridge officer on a Star Destroyer in the Republic Navy and was one of the first captains of an Imperial Star Destroyer after Order 66 but he became disillusioned with the Empire and defected and started his own rebel cell. Mm. Surprisingly, that's all there is in his backstory for such an important figure. I would expect there to be more, but off screen, probably one of the comics or books or something like that, his death is pretty interesting, and it kind of goes with what you were saying in the theme about the cascading effects of someone sacrificing, leading to a bigger victory, leading to a bigger victory, leading to a bigger victory. Mm. Um he eventually died in a battle with Darth Vader's Super Star Destroyer, the Executor or the Executor. I don't know which one it is. I like to think it's the Executor because it sounds yeah, so business. Totally. <laughs> um, the Executive Vader, Suite. Yep. Vader was helming the ship as they ambushed a space station that the Rebels were hidden on, on Maku Ta. And Luke and Leia and a couple of people had escaped, but most of Rebel High Command, including Mon Mothma, Admiral Akbar, and Harris and Dula, were all still on the space station and under siege from Vader and his Super Star Destroyer. So Dodonna took his ship and engaged the Super Star Destroyer in combat and was able to buy enough time for Rebel High Command, including Hera. Um, to escape, and they were able to eventually defeat the Emperor at the Battle of Endor. But Dodon and his ship went down, and that was his final stand. So he was widely considered sacrificing himself for the greater good and saving countless, countless lives and allowing the rebellion, one of the things that allowed the rebellion to succeed. Wow. Yep, so. It's such a, it's just a, and I remember when this happened to Commander Sato, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember actually crying my eyes out when that happened. And I know mm-hmm. a lot of people didn't feel that connected to Sato because we didn't really know him all that well. But just the action of, you know, sacrificing your life for a greater good. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't know whether that's going to make an impact or not. You don't know whether, you know, what you intend to do is going to have the repercussions that you want. And you just have to have faith. It's a yeah. leap of faith. And it just, again, it reminds me of, uh, I, every time I say those words, it reminds me of Spider-Man. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just, it's scary. You don't know whether you're able, a lot of people like to think, oh, you know, I, I, I'd i be able to do that um, if I were in his shoes, or I think I'm, I'm brave enough to be able to do it. But you really don't know until you're in that moment. If yeah. you can sacrifice your life, Mm. Uh, for something bigger than yourself. Do you know, I, I I guess the only reason for me that Sato's sacrifice was so such a, a unre- was unremarkable to me is because his um, nephew is Mort. <laughs> Mart, you mean? Mart. Mart Madden. Mart, Mort, Mart. Mart, yeah. Mort. Mart, Mort. Mark. And I'm just not a big Mart, Mort fan. I uh, gotcha. <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I, yeah. <laughs> I like that point, though. I think it's a good point, and I think it's very... It shows the clear distinction between someone like Thrawn, who they wouldn't make a decision unless it was calculated to the 10th degree. Mm. And then it also shows the difference between someone like Constantine, who is, you know, indicative of very of a lot of Imperials, that they wouldn't sacrifice themselves. They're about the glory. They're about getting the victory and getting the praise from the Emperor. So, like, the rebels are based on having faith on sacrifice on the greater good. And that's a fundamental difference between them. Mm-hmm. So the very last thing that I want to bring up is if you watch Rebels Recon on this episode, um, they end the episode by saying like, all right, this is our last one in the, in the of the season. So we're going to look back and producers and everyone's going to talk about their favorite moments from season three. And they do a big montage. And then at the end of the montage, a small bit of Ahsoka's theme plays. So I just wanted to put that out there in the universe that they That's were foreshadowing mm-hmm. something very subtly on Rebels Recon. Mm. So I thought that was fun. <laughs> how, how did you, did you, how did you come across this? Did you notice this? No, no. I did it in research. Oh, wow. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. yeah. I cool. so don't have an ear for that's this person's theme or that person's theme. I'm just like, cool music. Yeah. I only, I only <laughs> have it for, uh, for Thrawn's theme because it's yeah, so well, Thrawn's theme so is incredible. Vampire. Yeah. How we like to end each episode is with a we rate the episode on a scale from our current most favorite thing in Star Wars to our current least favorite thing in Star Wars. Peter, would you like to give an example of how this works? Yes. My favorite thing in Star Wars right now is Ray pulling the lightsaber out of the snow and whooshing past Kylo Ren's face in Force Awakens. Nice. My least favorite thing is anything C-3PO does at any time other than in the original trilogy. This episode for me is Kylo Ren putting his helmet back together. I like his helmet and it has a cool voice, but I thought thematically him smashing it was powerful, but him putting it back together was also powerful. But (laughs) I'm also conflicted about how 
Rise of Skywalker retcons Last Jedi, but I also think the helmet looks cool with the red lines, <laughs> sure, so sure. I'm really conflicted, and that's how I feel about this episode. So this is like a B minus to me. Wow, B minus, interesting. Yeah, I liked a lot of it, but there's just like a couple things that I just I don't know for some reason it didn't sit right with me, and I don't even necessarily know what it is. I can't even analyze it. How about okay. you, Mike? Well, on a scale of the 1997 re-releases, which aren't my favorite. Um, just all everything about them to the final battle between Maul and Obi Wan Kenobi, which we went through last episode. It's my one of my all time favorite Star Wars moments. I would give this episode a the ending of the Last Jedi. I like it. It's definitely something we've done before, though. It's very Empire Strikes Back. It's kind of exactly what I was talking about in my theme that pyric victory. Um, so it's a theme we're familiar with and used to. And I think it's a good foreshadowing because it leaves you wondering, well, what's going to happen next? But it's not new. Um, so I give this, that's that that translates to about a, a B for me. Um, yeah. Fair. Fair. yeah. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, what about you, John Marie? All right. So on a scale from anything related to Omira from The Mandalorian, the oh, wow. that one character who showed up in Chapter 4, who I wow. love. <laughs> love that. To, I'm sorry, but the Raylo kiss in Rise of, in the Rise of Skywalker. I you don't have to apologize to us about that. I we mean, don't I, like it. So you're I don't in like good it. company. I am sympathetic to, some, to a lot audience, of Raylo so. stuff. <laughs> But that kiss was so groany. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just not a fan. Yeah. But yeah, it's my least favorite thing at the moment. But, um, you know, this episode, I give this a Mandalorians attacking to attacking the interdictor, mm. um, which is uh, to me, I think it's an A. Uh, I, I don't know. I just I really like how this episode, how this two part episode um, touch on a lot of different storylines yeah. as much as they could uh, mm-hmm. and focus on those different characters uh, and, you know, giving us a, that really cool, um, what's it, uh, saying from Bendu to Thrawn and just leaving us wondering what's going to happen next. And I thought that the, the sacrifice really hit me personally and, What's it? Uh, Sabine coming back, which is something that I was just like, yay, I'm fine. I'm happy that she's back mm. in the, with the family. And it just it tied up things very well, I think, from what had happened throughout the, the, the season, the third season. So mm. and it introduced great. things that would be touched on in the fourth season. So I, I just thought mm. it was a great mix of all that stuff. Yeah, I, that's great. Yeah, I feel like. Yeah, we need to do. We did. We did a Last Jedi one year later with you. I think we need to do that with Rise of Skywalker because we'd have a very interesting conversation. Oh, you know, and I and I'm actually one of the few (laughs) who actually loves that movie. Yeah, no, that's why I think it'd be interesting. (laughs) I feel like even you said it's in episode four for Mandalorian. That was by far my least favorite episode. Oh my goodness! (laughs) I I love that episode. Yeah, there's there's few people where I like probably we disagree on so many things, but like still like each other so much and like yeah, have yeah, so yeah. many things like that we agree <laughs> on. Like I feel like that's something that I want to talk about with Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. And I think yeah. that could be a much more interesting and healthy conversation than a lot of what's <laughs> been going on. 
But I like that the things that we dislike, it doesn't become our personality. And yeah, I feel like totally. that's that's what's happening on, in fandom where it's like the one thing you focus on, the one thing that becomes everything that you think about and you exude. And that's that's unhealthy, I think. And that's where it's like, OK, I'm I'm going to have to meet you now <laughs> <laughs> um, only yeah. for my self-care. So, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's it's interesting because, you know, we can still be friends. I mean, you said you don't like chapter four, but I still love you. So I love you guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we can still be friends. I love right. everything Mandalorian. I, See? Not, it's, so not, it's just I've I've. I've seen it the uh, three times. The in yeah, I ugh. It's yeah. So, good. so we should maybe we'll have a Mandalorian conversation because yeah, that episode made me roll my eyes, and then the next episode I didn't even finish. I turned it's it off. It's because you gotta it watch it with me, and then you'll see it in okay. a whole different light. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're just saying Aladdin because I'm here. That's racist, Mike. <laughs> All right, I think we're getting goofy enough. I think we need to. We need to wrap this up. Jonah Marie, how can people find you on the internet? What would you like to promote? Yeah, so people can find me on Twitter with the handle at Blue Jake Eyes. And they can also uh, listen to me and my mom talk about uh, Star Wars animated shows on uh, the podcast Geeky Bubble Pod. Mm. And they can also find my writings at radicalgrid.com. So it's Ooh. not the WookieGunner.com anymore. This is new. It is new. Yeah. So I decided to branch out a bit because as much as I love the Star Wars animated shows, I love so much more. I love so many other Name things. Name something else you're talking about out there. What's another so thing? I, Tron for sure and I, right. I definitely have a few things upcoming for Tron because this is the 10th year anniversary for Tron Legacy which is a one of my favorite films. Beautiful movie. I'm right I there. Know. I'm right there with you. <laughs> right there with so, you. I'm in the process of putting a few things together to celebrate that and um, what else? Um, do you I, talk, I, let me ask you do, mm-hmm. you do you talk about um, shows like Avatar The Last Airbender? I want to, for sure. I need to do a massive rewatch of that, though. But I definitely want to... It's more of like an analysis type of website rather than news, you know, like putting news out there. So I I definitely am in the process of like looking things differently and Mm. writing about those things from my own perspective. I love it. That's great. That's fantastic. Yes, you should check it out. I am excited about that. (laughs) Um, And yeah, we are probably going to take a little bit of a break between seasons but we will still be hard at work um and do not worry we will be putting out content still we have D on the books your our friends chris and crystal will be joining us for star wars D again so please look out for those those are so much fun and we have some new surprises coming down the line that i hope everyone will be really happy about and will make the show really good um and yeah other than that i don't know until next time how about you be you be brave out there and don't (laughs) look back don't look back we're good at ending things yeah (laughs) we'll fix it in post